I'm David Kern. I'm Heidi White. And I'm Sean Johnson. And this is Close Reads, a podcast for the incurable reader on which we are discussing our first book of 2024. Happy New Year, everyone. This is our conversation on P.G. Woodhouse's Summer Lightning. Uh, Quick programming note, I suppose. We are going to discuss the first five chapters today. On the last episode, I think I had said we were going to try to do nine. It's a bit ambitious. Yeah, it was. And then we kind of like, you know, it's busy right now. And uh, we're going to do the first five episodes. And then, okay, so here's the deal. We're actually recording this a couple days before Christmas. So that people can have like a little Christmas vacation. All of our secrets. Yeah, I know. And so <laughs> then that gives us a little time to catch up and record the the second episode and all that. So you know, we didn't want to have to do three episodes while Heidi's and on her vacation. I don't know if you want Mexico. people to know where you are. Heidi's going to Mexico. Sean's going to Virginia. I'm <laughs> almost not going anywhere, but we'll be glad to have a little couple days to to not think about it. And uh, so yeah, we're going to discuss the first five chapters today. Um, this is a book that was first published in the United States in July of 1929 and in the United Kingdom in July of 1929. Fancy that. Although, interestingly, same, same. 18 days later in the United Kingdom, Wait which first, I am America? fascinated by, and I need to do some research on that. Yeah, it was usually the other way around. Well, I will say it was serialized in a magazine uh, um, between March and August of 1929 in the UK, the Paul Mall magazine, and then yeah. in Collier's in the US uh, from April to June. So I guess technically they did get the the serialized bits first. Fair enough. Um, it's part of the Blandings Castle saga. Um, it's the third book from that, and I'm going to ask you about that here in a second, Sean. For those who are um, are interested in kind of being completists about this series, it starts with Something Fresh, which was from 1915, and then Leave It to Peace Smith, which was 1923. And then this book... The P is silent. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. I know, Sean. I just like to say it. And then uh, Heavy Weather is 1933, which forms the the sequel to the... What do you call four books? Quadrology. Quadrology. Yeah, <laughs> the quad, the quadrivium. Um, yeah, so something fresh. Leave it to Sean. What is it? It's Pith. Is that what you're saying? It's the S Island. No, leave it to <laughs> yeah, Smith. And then, and then heavy weather. Um, we're. I want to ask you, as I said, Sean, about the um, the blandingsness of this book. Um, <laughs> in just a second. Um, should we quickly? Just people like to hear from us. You know, the Christmas is in three days. It's December twenty second when we're recording. So well, people will be well past Christmas by the time we we get to this. But do, do you guys, what, you want to say anything about what your plans are? Like, do you have anything exciting that you're anticipating? That you, people can then wonder, hey, I wonder how that went for Heidi. Oh, I mean, you're going yeah. to Mexico, but. Remember my French toast. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. <laughs> hey, what are some okay. traditions that are like your favorite things? We do big Christmas brunch. Um, and I make the same thing every year. And I cannot wait. So we have big, lots of bacon and sausage. Well, because, and I say this because we've been fasting. So uh, this is the nativity fast right now for us. And so we're vegan for six weeks. So I'm like, just can't wait to get my hands on some bacon. (laughs) um, So, yeah. And then uh, last year we started uh, for the first time. And I think we'll just keep this up. We have Denver Nuggets tickets. And so we go to the Christmas game. Um, oh, right. So we're doing that. Yeah. So we're going to do that. So maybe you'll see me standing up and on the big screen. Wait, what are you going to, you got to like wear something very recognizable. 
So like, like wear I was like, thinking, like oh, a where's nugget Waldo? Sweatshirt. A nugget just, sweatshirt. Just look for the girl. You gotta, a, a you gotta hold up a sign that is both culturally relevant, but also a little like misses the mark just slightly. Like I came to see Taylor or something. And oh, yeah. then we'll recognize you and they'll definitely get you How on there. Just like close reads with like a oh. big arrow pointing <laughs> oh, at my there head. You go. And I just That's hold right. it up. Close reads.substack.com. <laughs> yes. That's they what prob- I was thinking. They honestly probably would make you uh, make you get rid of that. Yeah, they probably would. You could you could hold up a sign that says, I'm not a real genuine human colander. <laughs> something like that. Like something, and then uh, like one. One one millionth of the people in the world will know what you're talking about. That's right. like, I have such creative ideas. What, so one I think all of these are good. Lightning with us. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, that's what we're doing on Christmas. How about y'all? Yeah, Sean. What's up with you? Uh, we are also looking forward to eating bacon. <laughs> right. Uh, and we have we have a traditional in keeping Christmas. with Woodhouse actually. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Uh, well, it's you the know, Empress. No, you, know, you don't want to think about eating the Empress, and maybe until in her retirement. I don't. I don't. But yeah, we we always have uh, homemade cinnamon rolls and bacon uh, for Christmas brunch and, and mimosas, and um, we'll have we've got family in town, so we'll do family Christmas, uh, and then the twenty sixth, earlyish the twenty sixth, we're packing up and leaving town and hitting the road for eight or ten days. All the kids, the or you're leaving the kids behind. All the, all the kids, all the kids. <laughs> Yeah, nice. so uh, we'll spend a night in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, we'll come and spend a night in Concord, and then uh, we'll be on to Richmond, Virginia. Wait, are you staying at my parents? Uh, we're staying with the uh, Davises. No kidding. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Huh, they, cool. My wife, my wife knows them from way back. Okay. They're one of their kids is one of my godchildren. No, hey. Um, and then you're, and then so so by the time people have listened to this, we'll have seen each other in the flesh. Oh yeah, embraced warmly. I feel so left out right now. Well, well you're going to be in Mexico, you so could have you'll have a different other kind instead. of warm warmness. And God willing, you won't get kidnapped by the cartels. God yeah, that would ideally that would ideally, be a yeah. Christmas adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like there needs to be a, a like a Fletch style um, <laughs> story about that. Um, well, Christmas yeah. with the cartels. <laughs> exactly. Christmas with the cartel. Yeah, exactly, the Hallmark yeah. special. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, let's talk about Summer Lightning because I know we've got um, things things to get to. Um, okay, have either of you read this before? I don't think I have. Yes. Okay. I believe I've read it, but it's it's been long enough that a lot of it's together. new. Yeah, yeah it's, it was one yeah. of those where I was remember, remembering only as I read it that I had yeah. definitely read it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, hey, Heidi, I didn't ask you to do this. Do you want to do like a quick summary of it? I mean, it really, it doesn't really matter what happens in these books, but just kind of so people know where we're leaving <laughs> off, really, you know? Right. So there's... Some people did read nine chapters. Indeed. Uh, so we, we end with um, Millicent breaking off the engagement with Hugo. Right. That is right. Um, and you picked a really good chapter to end on, by the way. Yeah, good that's job. right. Good cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was perfect. Uh, So trouble is brewing at Blandings. Uh, Ronnie and Hugo's venture with the hotspot nightclub in London has failed. (laughs) They've lost several hundred thousand pounds. Ronnie has been sent off in disgrace abroad uh, to weather the storm. 
Um, and Hugo has been sent to. Pulandis. I'd like to get sent off to Europe to weather a storm. <laughs> I know the aristocratic life. That's is, it. You're banished yes. to Europe. Um, oh man. Yes. Yeah, so Hugo, <laughs> who does not have the privileges of Ronnie, with you know, uh, he has been sent to Blandings to be private secretary. Yeah, that's more like <laughs> what would happen to uncle. me. <laughs> me right. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Lady Constance is trying to stop Sir Galley, her younger brother, from writing his reminiscences because so many aristocratic reputations will be sullied uh, by the stories of their misspent <laughs> youth. Um, this is like the also, comical version of the Epstein list or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> also, meanwhile... Where is Larry Page? Anyway... The Ronnie has hatched a scheme in order to release funds from his uncle so he can marry Sue Brown, the chorus girl, who does not have the wealth and connections she needs to be united with the Blandings. But she does come from, uh, you know, famous chorus girl stock. Yeah, but, you know, we're not getting caught up in all of the little things. Her father's an Irish guard. (laughs) Yeah, well, and her mother is Dolly Henderson. Right? Has entertained... Um, she captured so the, many... the imagination of London for a whole <laughs> decade season. or something. Like yeah. a couple seasons, yes. Um, so she does have a past that might end up being okay. Uh, but meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, <laughs> Ronnie has hatched a scheme in order to win her, release the funds he needs to marry her. And that is to obviously kidnap the prize pig, the Empress from his uncle and stash her in the woods and then become a hero by reuniting the empress with his uncle and then of course his uncle will hand over the cash and true love will run smooth how does it work out well for him oh well we don't know yet right he's a little nervous right now because his uncle has hired a private detective to find the empress because of his great love for the empress who does he hire but pillbeam the detective who has a crush on sue and has been trying to win sue uh but sue has so far spurned him uh and ronnie is very jealous and then and then at the nightclub there is a little altercation when Ronnie mm. catches Sue, who weirdly enough is not even with Pillbeam at the time. She's with uh, but Hugo. But who got Hugo, sent to get the detective? Exactly. Who got himself there's sent? So many misunderstandings <laughs> yeah, right. in Sue and then waiters A, B, C, and D. In Sue? Waiters A, B, C, and D have been just dispatched. Like, a rough night. Dispatched. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. And then all the engagements are broken off because everybody's mad at each other now. And I blame it the Empress or Lady Constance. I, I was Lady thinking Constance. that <laughs> blame the Empress. I don't, it's, it's always risky to blame an Empress. You never know what might happen to yeah. you. But I think I was thinking it might, one of the funniest things might be to just like recap plots and just riff on what's happening <laughs> because Indeed. they're pretty ridiculous. Um, you do well the done. color commentary. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well done, Heidi. So, Sean, this is a Blandings novel. We'll get into the to the particulars of this this book in a, in a few minutes. Um, and I have a couple of very important questions, like really essential questions that I need to hear from you guys on. Um, but for a lot of our listeners, probably are more familiar with the 
Wood, I mean, the um, Jason Wooster stories by PG Woodhouse, or maybe even some of the golf stories, which are still fairly popular. Yeah. Um, Heidi, have you read the golf stories as someone who plays golf? Um, I I wish that I could claim to play golf. Um, I swing the club and then get angry and try right, to. Right, but that's what's happening in the stories too. Sure, you love the yeah. stories, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, yes, I have read the golf stories. Um, They're delightful. I mean, everything you write is delightful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Sean, could you kind of give a quick like overview of what the Blanding stories are all about? And like, how are they a little different than the the Jeeves and Wooster stories? And you can't just say that they don't have Jeeves and Wooster. <laughs> well, they don't have Jeeves and Wooster. Uh, well, I didn't. Uh, say, I just said you can't just say that. So I did walk into that. <laughs> right. Uh, so I started there so that I can move past that really quickly. Uh, so the one of the main differences is that they are, though they do, I think, sort of an equal measure to the Jews and Worcester stories. They sort of bounce between the city and the country, uh, but they are anchored in the Blanding's castle estate in the country, whereas, uh, you know, Bertie Wooster lives in the city mm-hmm. and is, is always getting dragged out to country houses to visit ants or whoever. Um, so there's maybe that emphasis is a kind of inversion there. Uh, and the, the speed of life for some of the characters uh, varies to match. So Lord Emsworth is very much, uh, for the most part, except when his prize pig gets stolen, he's very irascible and placid. And uh, I think it was, I think it was Evelyn Waugh who took a pig who compared, to wake up. compared the Blanding's castle grounds to like the Garden of Eden. Like <laughs> it's, he, it's, he says it's the original garden from which we are all exiled. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sleepy and idyllic, and uh, and that that one of the biggest differences for me then is that uh, Emsworth, though he's not always the main focus of of every plot, uh, he is sort of a, the central character. In the Blanding stories, and he's very, very often he's not particularly concerned in what's at stake. Uh, whereas Bertie Wooster, as the main character of the Jeeves and Wooster stories, uh, is always sort of being pulled in multiple directions, or at the crisis involves him directly, and whether or not he's going to get married off to some uh, terrible mannish woman that his aunt is you know, forcing on him. Uh, but <laughs> Emsworth just sort of blithely uh, ends up deciding the fate of the <laughs> of these ridiculous bachelors, and uh, so that's that's maybe a another distinction there. But you still you know, have ridiculous bachelors; they just don't have a, a Jeeves to get them through it. Um, go ahead. No, go go. I was going to say I have an answer to this question given by Mr. Woodhouse himself in the Come preface on. of this novel. Oh, this which is I, true. Which is, which oh, is so hilarious. <laughs> like, I I was reading this and I, like, got up and walked around my house and read it to everybody here. This was like, <laughs> all right, here it is. A certain critic, for such men I regret to say do exist, made the nasty remark about my last novel that it contained, quote, all the old Woodhouse characters under different names, end quote. He's probably by now been eaten by bears, <laughs> like the children who made mock of the prophet Elisha. But if he still survives, he will not be able to make a similar charge against summer lightning. With my superior intelligence, I have outgeneraled the man this time by putting in all the old Woodhouse characters under the same names. <laughs> Pretty silly. It will make him feel rather. 
Yeah, and there is something yeah, to that, yeah. right? They feel like familiar types. I think Lord Ensworth is the only type that isn't isn't as present in the Jeeves and Wooster stories. But you have you have the aunt who's a sort of uh, always contriving to force a good upon her nephews uh, that they don't really they don't have any interest in. They don't want it. Yeah, yeah. 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 As and then, um, and then other random Worcester, rural hijinks. As Wooster says, she eats. They they eat um, bottles for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Big glass. <laughs> Heidi, you forgot um, the next sentence though, which I love. This is this story is a sort of old home week for my, if I may coin a phrase, puppets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I we feel like these episodes should just be reading to each oh, other. Yeah. I know, right? It's just the lines over and over. They're so good. I don't want to talk about anything serious. <laughs> so, yeah, we 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 finished at. Um, uh, chapter five. So that ends with um, it ends with Millicent breaking it off with Hugo and Hugo asking for a, a stiffish drink, um, and that's yeah. So that's how that ends. But I do I want to I want to talk about something important here because if you if you look at the names of these characters here, I'm just gonna I just want to list a few characters. We've got Lord Emsworth, who according to Wikipedia is an absent-minded master of Blanding's Castle. We have Lady Constance Keeble. We have Galahad Threepwood, Emsworth's brother, of course. We have Ronnie Fish, Emsworth's vertically challenged nephew. We have <laughs> Sue Brown, who is an enterprising chor- chorus girl engaged to Ronnie. We have Mortimer Pa Mason, who is a theatrical imp- impresario and Sue's employer. We have Millicent Threepwood, who is Lord Emsworth's niece. We have Hugo Carmody, Millicent's, you know, we just talked about that fiance, or at least was. We have Rupert Baxter, who is the the other secretary who Lady Constance prefers and Lord Emsworth despises. We have Percy Frobisher Pillbeam, the detective, who has a crush, as Heidi said, on Sue. We also have Sir Gregory Parslow Parslow, who is uh, Lord Emsworth's neighbor, and I think he's the rival pig pig. That's right, lover, right? <laughs> hey, what is the word for things relating to to pig? Porkiary? Porkine. Porkine. Got it. Right. Okay. Or I like porcine, depending on how you how you take your C's. Can I go with porkiary just for the sake of this conversation? Yeah, please. Yes, please. And please. then we have the butler who with on whom the Beach. book opens, named simply Beach. Okay. So what I want to know is um which is your favorite of the, the characters' names? <laughs> Lord Emsworth, Lady Constance, Keeble, Galahad Threeport, Ronnie Fish, Sue Brown. Mortimer Pa Mason, Millicent Threepwood, Hugo Carmody, Rupert Baxter, Percy Frobisher Pillbeam, Sir Gregory Parslow Parslow, or Beach. Oh man. Like, you know, I, I know guess, I would have to think about this. I know. Should, should we rank them? <laughs> <laughs> um I guess Sir Galahad. Sir Galahad that, Threepwood. That one is pretty good. It's a great name. And Millicent jokes about how far from the mark they were when they gave him the name. Right. <laughs> and they call him Galley. I guess yeah. that would be my favorite. He is great at names. Yeah. I do love I do love uh Sir Gregory Parslow Parslow because I one of my secret pleasures in novels like these, Evelyn Waugh does this really well too, is take the the conventions of sort of the the noble aristocratic name and just make fun of it. Yeah. Right. Well, they like it would be normally 
Trent Alexander Arnold right now is a soccer player. Yeah, that's in the right. UK yeah. they have all these hyphenated names, right? Yeah, and but Parzal Parzal just redundantly pompous, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, and what would have to be the familiar situation yeah, right. that leads to yeah. him to be called Par- Parslow Parslow? Definitely some cousins getting married in there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Beach is kind of genius when all the other people have ridiculous, like, well, oh, yeah. except for Sue Brown, have these these really hey. luxurious names. And then Beach is the well. Beach is the most grounded and rooted of them, right? So it's perfect. Yeah, in a way. Also, in in a way, way. not. (laughs) Unless gambling is a you know, he's like the immemorial elms. Him, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Him getting you know that's that's a great point. The um, him getting dragged into Ronnie's scheme. Simply because he needs to know more information on the horses is yeah. is absolutely hilarious and almost the inversion of a Jeeves. Right, you can see Indeed. him trying to Woodhouse trying to you know make sure that his he doesn't you can't you you have, you're going to be comparing every Butler to to Jeeves when you read a Woodhouse yeah. novel. Yeah, so, he's yeah. careful to make Beach not Jeeves. Yeah, he's not a he's not a um he's not someone who's who whose brain is larger than everyone else's. Um. <laughs> Should we do some lines? Should we talk about some moments that we just love? Yeah, I mean, we can't really talk about yeah, the whole surely. plot of the story yet. So, one of my favorite things about Woodhouse, I always tell people this when they buy the books at the store. Like, if they're like, "I want something light, I want to try something new," and I try to convince them to read Woodhouse and how talk about how it's a satire of English culture from the from a long time ago. And some people just think, it, you know, that's not that appealing and all that. So <laughs> then I I smack them over the head with the book and say, "Take this." And I always tell them to watch for the things that. The, the ways that Woodhouse describes people entering and leaving rooms. Oh, yeah. So, for example, <laughs> Emsworth at one point, he's, talk, he's talking with um, Lady Constance. And she, and, uh, oh, this he, is the best. He says, um, she says, you know perfectly well that there was quite a simple explanation. My diamond necklace had been stolen and Mr. Baxter thought the thief had hidden it in one of the flower pots. He went to look for it and got locked out and tried to attract attention by, well, I prefer to think the man was crazy. And that's the line that Galahad takes in his book. Galahad's not putting the story in his book. Of course he's putting it in his book. Do you think he's going to waste excellent material like that? And as I say, the line Galahad takes, and he's a clear-thinking, level-headed man, is that Baxter was a raving, roaring lunatic. Well, I'm going to have another look at the Empress. And he pottered off pig words. Pig words. (laughs) He pottered off pig words. (laughs) Is just one of the best Woodhouse exit or entrance lines ever. And there's it's, it's full of them. He never just says... And then he walks in or out of the room. Or he no, enters. nobody yeah. just enters. Trickling or prancing or yeah. <laughs> appearing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jesus is always floating in like a... Yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> or they're just in... Or the bush just talks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Blue, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you have anything, Heidi? Oh, yeah. I have so we many things. Go through a bunch of lines we love. My favorite... Mo- like, the laugh out loud moment for me in this reading was... Um, in the chapter, The Course of True Love, when um, after Ronnie tells Lady Constance that Sue is the, oh, who's the girl? Miss Shoemaker? Oh, yeah, yeah. He like panics and introduces her as Miss Shoemaker. And then he <laughs> starts freaking out about it. Um, and then Sue says, um, oh, Sue says, of course, it has complicated things a little. A, Ronnie started, this aspect of the matter had not struck him. How do you mean? When I was a child, they taught me a poem. 
Ronnie <laughs> raised a suffering face to hers. Don't let's talk about your childhood now. <laughs> Feeling rather shaken. <laughs> Any other time. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Who's your favorite character? Oh, my God. Um, I, in this book so far, I think it might be Ronnie. Um, although I really like Hugo. And who's the uncle we were just talking about? Galahad? Lord Emsworth? No. Oh, Emsworth. Lord Emsworth. oh yeah. I love, I love those. And I, I love how the older generation is always just like a version of what the younger people are going to become. And you can tell like, cause it's always like these weak men getting married to bossy women. And you can see like the writing on the wall. Like you are Lady Constance in embryo. <laughs> like, yeah. You, are, yeah. you are destined to nourish prized pigs. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, but I love, I just like love that so much about the childhood. Like any other time, I'm feeling rather shaken. I cannot <laughs> talk, possibly talk about your childhood right now. It's like so that line in the bear where he's like, I love you, but I don't have time for this. That's yeah, exactly yeah. right. So Ronnie has a great conversation too. Well, I mean, it's pretty close to that where he, um, he says, what I'm driving at is they aren't all from me at all. They're from a blighter named P. Frobisher Pilbeam. He's talking about the flowers, right? Sue's smile had faded. She knew her Ronald jealousy so well. It was the one thing about him which she could have wished changed. Oh, she said dismally, the crust of calm detachment from all human emotion <laughs> built up by years of Eton in Cambridge cracked abruptly and there peeped forth a primitive Ronald overberry fish. <laughs> So great. And then a couple of minutes later, Sue's eyes flickered, realizing, however, that her Ronnie in certain moods resembled a child of six. She made a pathetic attempt to lighten the atmosphere. So great. The child um, of six. That whole conversation is amazing. Cause then he starts talking about how he's short and he's like, oh, he's yeah. like all self-conscious about it. My uncle Galley once told me I look like the protoplasm of a minor jockey. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sue gets up frustrated. Suicide. Things were being difficult today. <laughs> and then he's talking about Hugo. I fear that bird. He's my best pal and I know his work. He's practically handsome. <laughs> and then a minute later, he was he his was a mercurial temperament and it had lifted him in an instant from the depths to the heights. The cloud had passed from his face. The look of Byronic despair from his eyes. He beamed. He beamed. John, you got something? Uh... Yeah. Uh, there's some of them are just, just Woodhouse's turn of phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's that anecdote that that Galahad tells about a friend of his who gave up drink and started drinking tea and was dead within a year. <laughs> and uh, oh. right, he says, "No more alcohol for me," said Buffy. Look what it does to the common earthworm. But you're not a common earthworm, I said, putting my finger on the flaw in his argument right away. <laughs> Well, keep going. Just the resolution uh, I, of the scene is amazing. Yeah, I dash soon shall be if I go on drinking alcohol, said Buffy. Well, I begged him with tears in my eyes not to do anything rash, but I couldn't move him. He ordered 10 pounds of the muck and was dead inside the year. Good heavens, really? The Honorable Galahad nodded impressively. Impressively. Dead as a doornail. Got run over by a handsome cab, poor dear old chap, as he was crossing Piccadilly. You'll find the story in my book. Uh, cause and effect is uh, yes, right. neither here nor there 
Hey, so uh, I was reading um, A Christmas Carol to my kids. Nice. And they had a, 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 so many questions about the, what a doornail is. Oh, that's one of my favorite passages in the, in the book. Well, the yeah, wisdom I mean, is in it's the also, simile, right? It's yeah. also like the first one. Yeah. So, yeah, we had to talk about doornails for a while. Anyway, continue. That's so great. What is uh, a doornail? You know, a nail in the door. Is that, that's not it. I feel like you're lying to me. I don't know what a doornail is. David, David does. David. Oh, David no. Just, no. I, there's, apparently there are multiple. I need the same explanation. There are competing etymologies for the, for the phrase. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was just one of those large. Isn't it like a nail with a large head? Like that's what they, I've heard that they would use indoors, but I don't know if there's anything more yeah, than that. Or with a or with a flat square head, or a nail that's uh, hammered, like bent over and hammered down. Yeah, I mean the point is it gets it gets uh, ha- hammered. hammered a lot. Is that hammered right? a lot yeah. aggressively and is, use, and is useless? Like if you, for like it's, you can't reuse it. Yeah, never thought of that before. Yeah. I think I just accept too many things. Well, we've also at this point questions. heard that, you know. Yeah. So much. Dead as a doornail. It's just like even the explanations are sort of looping back on themselves. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But the wisdom of the ancients is in the simile, so just well, okay. The great books should cause you to have existential crises, right, Heidi? That's that's right. That's right. Especially right before Christmas. Doornails, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's not the existential crisis Dickens was hoping you would have when you read a Christmas Carol, but you know. I know. I just feel like it's Dickens. He just wants. He just wants you to have as many crises as you can. I think that's right. Yeah, and the (laughs) obvious ones, I always just feel too forced into them. I'm like, maybe I don't want to feel, you know, rush out about the plight of the poor right now. Yeah, (laughs) I don't care about a little nail. Yeah, I take that. Charles, I'm enjoying my wine. Thank you. Chuck. I do want to. Please don't. That was just an example. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Hypothetically speaking. Yeah. Okay, I have another. I have another passage here. Ronnie, oh, oh, he's is he talking with? He's still talking with Sue. Uh, there, this is that. This is that, still that drive in the car, and they're trying to work out what they'll do because they realize the real uh, Miss Shoemaker is bound for Blandings, and she. Oh, he and he's getting insecure again. And Sue says, poor old Ronnie, I'm sorry. Still, you must admit that they'd be quite within their rights objecting to me. I'm not so hot, you know, only a chorus girl, just one of the ensemble. Ronnie said something between his teeth that sounded like, yuck. What he meant was, be her station never so humble. A pure, sweet girl is a fitting mate for the highest in the land. (laughs) He reminds me of, who's the guy in um, the inimitable Jeeves, the friend who, Booster and... and and Jeeves keep saving. Oh, uh, is it? Is that Gussie? Gussie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Gussie all, think not all. all of, he has like four different women in that book that he's yes. falling in and out of love but with. End, yeah, but he ends up That's with who Model run. and Bassett. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what? one of my so favorite time. That's very stressful to me. Every single time, I'm like, <laughs> what is going to happen to to Gussie and Poor Madeline? Gussie. Is she going to have to marry Wooster? She's no, she's going to be, um, she's going to be, uh, um, wait, what's the aunt in this one? Lady Constance. Lady Constance. She's going to be Lady yeah. Constance to yeah, his Lord right. Emsworth. For sure. He's, yeah. So one of my favorite passages have in, instead of pigs. in any of the non Jeeves and Wooster books is in this book. It's on page 38 and it, like it really, you kind of have to do the whole scene here. Um, so let's, let's Heidi, you be Millicent and then Sean, you be. Hugo. We have the same book, though. Oh, it no, probably not. 
Um, it's in it's the trouble brewing at Lamp Blandings, so it's in part four of that of that one, okay. and it's where she's she's confronting him okay. about you know Millicent doesn't trust Hugo either, and it's the very so it starts with um let's let's start at the uh, let's do like two pages here, so sure. um it's, let's start with the way she was talking to him seemed worse than the way she was looking, <laughs> so it's like a couple paragraphs it's one two. Well, do this dialogue here. So it's just after the beginning of part four in the trouble brewing at Blandings, which is so. And you said you it's s- on your your page thirty eight. Now it's thirty seven. It. Now the now way she was talking to him it. seemed worse than the way she was looking. So oh, I'll yeah. be the narrator. Yeah. Sean, you're Hugo, and then Heidi, you be Millicent. The way she was talking seemed to him worse than the way she was looking. Hugo's concern increased. I think that's is this Hugo. Is this Hugo? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say, what's up? The granite eye looked on. The granite eye took on an added hardness. You want to know what's up? Yes, what's up? I'll tell you what's up. (laughs) Well, what's up? He waited for enlightenment, but she had fallen into a chilling silence. And every man can can, has experienced that before. (laughs) The truest, truer words have never been spoken. You know, I'm getting pretty fed up with all this secrecy and general snakiness. Seeing you for an occasional odd five minutes a day and having to put on false whiskers and hide in bushes to manage that. I know the keeble looks on me as a sort of cross between a leper and a nosegay of deadly nightshade, <laughs> but I'm strong with the old boy. I talk pig to him. You might almost say I play on him as a stringed instrument. So what's wrong with going to him and telling him in a frank and manly way that we love each other and are going to get married? The marble of Millicent's face was disturbed by one of those quick, sharp, short, bitter <laughs> smiles that do nobody any good. <laughs> Why should we lie to Uncle Clarence? Eh? I say, why should we tell him something that isn't true? I don't get your drift. I will continue snowing. I am not quite sure if I ever going to speak to you again in this world or the next. Much will depend on how good you are as an explainer. I have it on the most excellent authority that you are entangled with a chorus girl. How about it? Hugo reeled. But then St. Anthony himself would have reeled if a charge like that had suddenly been hurled at him. The best of men require time to overhaul their conscience on such occasions. A moment and he was himself again. It's a lie. Name of Brown. Not a word of truth in it. I haven't set eyes on Sue Brown since I first (laughs) met you. No, you've been down here all the time. When I was setting eyes on her, why, dash it, my attitude from start to finish was one of blameless, innocent, one of 100% brotherliness. A wholesome friendship. Brotherly, nothing more. I liked dancing and she liked dancing and our steps fitted. So occasionally we would go out together and tread the measure. That's all there was to it. Pure brotherliness. Nothing more. I look on myself as a sort of brother. Brother, eh? Absolutely a brother. Don't go running away, my dear old thing, with any sort of silly notion that Sue Brown was something in the nature of a vamp. (laughs) She's one of the nicest girls you would ever want to meet. Nice, is she? A sweet girl. A girl in a million. A real good sort. A sound egg. Pretty, I suppose. The native good sense of the Carmody's asserted itself at the 11th hour. (laughs) Not pretty. No, pretty, no. Not at all pretty. Far from pretty. Totally lacking in sex appeal. (laughs) Poor girl. But nice, a good sort. No nonsense about her. Sisterly. Millicent pondered. Hmm. Nature paused, listening. Birds checked their song, insects their droning. It was as if it had got about this. It, it was as if it had got about that this young man's fate hung in the balance, and the returns would be in shortly. Well, all right. 
I suppose I'll have to believe you. That's the way to talk. But just you bear this in mind, my lad. Any funny business from now on. As if. One more attack of that brotherly <laughs> urge. As though. All right, then. Hugo inhaled vigorously. He felt like a man who has just dodged a wounded tigress. Can you inhale vigorously? Bonsai! Sweetheart still. All right, so that's the end of the section. Sue Brown. <laughs> chorus girl, no less. I, I So... Woodhouse is so good at taking these scenes that like, you know, people, pe- people have arguments all the time in a relationship or like people who are engaged or whatever, dating. Like, and then he just makes wretches up the absurdity of it. <laughs> and Hugo is, Hugo's, um, loser, really loses track of himself in this, in this one. <laughs> and I love that line. The native good sense of the Carmody's asserted itself at the 11th hour. <laughs> um, and then nature, of course. Like nature is always listening in his books. Oh, yeah. Sometimes in the form of people in bushes. Um, so they're one with nature. We're going to um, probably have a shorter episode here because we're only talking about the first five chapters, and then then we'll you know talk talk about the rest of the book on our next episode next week. Yeah, the the heavy comedy comes in in the the full twisting of and the untwisting of the plots. Right? The the poor kind. Yeah, elements. the poor kind plot. The poor kind plot. So, are there, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about or mention? Any other scenes? Any other characters? Anything else that just the, you know made you chuckle as we set up the the rest of the book? I I love that Woodhouse's a sort of instinctive attention to uh, conventions of language, especially figures of speech that mm-hmm. we take for granted. Uh, so, like even there when Hugo says, "I don't." I don't get your drift, uh, which is not a snow metaphor, right? But then Millicent picks it up as a snow metaphor. And I'll keep on snowing then. I will continue snowing. Uh, and then it says Millicent said it coldly too. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's a, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it uh, in a hurry here, but there's a, a line too about how you rarely see people wringing their hands in real life, uh, but that Lady yeah. Constance did something very much like ringing yeah yeah uh and so just like phrases and language that we throw out comfortably without really attending to them uh, as as flippant and superfluous as most of a woodhouse novels feels uh there's a lot of uh there really is a lot of uh attention uh, paid to uh the little things yeah 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 which is what i think that contributes to the comedy and then also makes the story to your point transcend its genre on those like little micro details all the writing and the conventions and the hand wringing thing is a great example of that sean because you would you could just read lady constance wrings her hands which actually is kind of funny in the context because it's over something so trivial and right. hand wringing is just like this depths of despair kind of thing yeah um but then he takes the comedy even deeper on that with with that precision of like comic timing and writing and all those things that you're describing plays with the language. And then on this macro level, another reason these books transcend their genres, because I, I just think they're so like Shakespearean, like they yeah. have this, that all the scene making and, and then the archetypes of the, you know, the, the weak male and the dominant female and how he plays with that 
and how he's satirizing English education, aristocratic life. Um, there's like so many things just converge together to make like the perfect comedy. Yeah. yeah. And even though we're not like, it's still, these books have lasted. So, I mean, I sell them all the time in the shop. People want the nice overlook editions. You know, I know Sean, you said you give one to your wife whenever you can. Yeah. Um, and they, so there's still a universality to them, despite the fact that we're like, like extremely American people, right? Like we, <laughs> I mean, we're all Anglophiles, I suppose, but, but you don't have to be obsessed with English culture or whatever, have gone to England to, to think that they're funny. Like, you know, you know, whether you watch the crown or not, whether you like to, you know, read James Harriet stories or not, this kind of, the, the the he welcomes you into it and i think part of it is because the narrator himself is sort of the universal binding agent so like yeah. that part that heidi mentioned he brings he he starts making commentary as if he's having a conversation with you so he's mm -hmm. telling the story but then he's like you know no one really wrings their hand in <laughs> real life do they and then he keeps going with the story or in that scene where that we just read where it says the marble of millicent's face was disturbed by one of those quick sharp short bitter smiles that do nobody any good. There's like a sort of pointedness in that, but also that doesn't really mean anything. Like he didn't really just describe any particular face. And yet he kind of makes it like he's having a conversation. Like, you know, you know the smile I'm talking about. And I don't really know the smile I'm talking about, except that I bring my own impression of what that is. We and still so, know the smile he's talking about. Yeah, we but still you know would, the smile. The three of us might all have a slightly different version of what the, like a different smile that comes to mind it could mm -hmm. be the speaker spouse or like a friend or whatever um or just like some that you've seen on tv or or whatever so it's not that precise but it's still it's still like universal and conversational and i think that that invitation into the world and the story and making it feel conversational makes makes it um perennial you know like it makes it last and people will probably still be reading these like you know, in 200 years when it doesn't make any sense, like it will make even less sense to people in, unless it's the culture is exactly like that, then, you know, it's cycled back around. Oh, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> if these were our biggest problems. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is another reason why it's so funny is right. because everything's so dire to these yeah. people. And these I get there problems. too. Like I, yes. And I, I think that's why it's, like the perfect kind of escapist literature because yeah. the emotions are so human and relatable, but the situations are so <laughs> completely ridiculous. Um, and so you can laugh at it, but still feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Heidi, when you are um, to that point, when you are experiencing Christmas with the cartels, just remember that there is no doubt yeah. that peril sharpens the intellect. So <laughs> <laughs> I will hope so at that point. Yeah, just I'll remember that. <laughs> One of my favorite lines uh, related to that is um, when Ronnie's talking to um, Sue and she says, she acclaims him as a genius. What genius, Ronnie? What ready wit? What presence of mind? If I hadn't heard it with my own ears, I wouldn't have believed it. Why didn't you ever tell me you were one of those swift thinkers? Well, I didn't know it myself. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's wrap this up. Um, we will dig into the whole book next time and we'll have even more lines and passages to choose from and things to laugh about um any any other final thoughts oh heidi do you want to tell the story about your 
oh, your my book, book before we go. Yeah, and I'll post oh, yeah. I'll post some pictures on on the socials. Um, so I was I I couldn't find it. I think I had ordered it from Bookshop. Yeah, it was back ordered. I didn't for a little have while. it, but it was back ordered, and then I thought it was, and then kind of like snuck up that we were doing this book, and I'm like, well, I'll get it on Kindle. Um, but I wonder if my my mom gave me several boxes or left me several boxes of books, um, and we I. We loved Agatha Christie and Woodhouse growing up. So my parents, Hmm. all of us read them. Um, And my mom particularly loved Woodhouse. And so I went digging through her boxes of books and found it. I couldn't believe I found it. Um, Amazing. So I have this copy of it from, hold on. The penguin, yeah. Yeah, it's the penguin. The orange spines, those are great. And this came, I should look at the, um, oh, yep, this is 1954 copy of of summer lightning uh and it has my uncle's name on it and then i found in it a bookmark um handwritten in pencil of in my uncle's handwriting yeah well it's just like a torn piece of paper oh okay and i think it's my uncle or my mom they had very similar handwriting um and it's just a list of all the characters with like little notes about the role the plot (laughs) yeah yeah so you could like keep track it's so great. So anyway, I'll I'll post this on cool. social. It's like a little family heirloom that I randomly found. That's really great. Uh, nice for the show. So that's nice. pretty cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, plus you got to read it. Indeed. Yes. There's that. And it is so fun to read it. I'm reading right now like a couple of pretty serious, like kind of heavy books. Um yeah. like Jack and I are reading Crime and Punishment together mm. and <laughs> reading the Iliad and City of God and you know books I love, but it's just right, yeah. so fun to pick up. Yeah, even house. my wife commented on that too when she saw me reading it. Like, oh, what a uh, this must be a nice change of pace yeah. from the, <laughs> all the other books it you've is. been reading. There's just so many th- things to read and so many ways to enjoy books. So mm. pretty great to be able to talk about this with you guys. Yeah, it's a good life. It felt like a right the right way to start the start 2024 off. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of this first episode of 2024. So we will be again talk about the rest of this book next week. Then we'll do the Q and A, and then we're going to jump into the warden schedules. Are posted over on the the Close Reads page. And don't forget that um, we have lots of content for subscribers, including our Kristen Laverne's daughter series. And uh, later this month, we will have our first of our monthly mystery series for subscribers, talking about uh, Strong Poison by Dorothy Sayers. I always go back and forth between saying strange and strong, and I always have to make myself say the strong. Um, and then the whole list of mysteries for that is posted. So that's a, that's a accessible to you um, over f- if you're a subscriber. And then don't forget that on the 4th, in three days, we have a poetry uh, hour on T.S. Eliot's The Journey of the Magi, just in time for Epiphany. So um, lots of great stuff um, going on this month. All right, for Heidi White, for Sean Johnson, I'm David Kern, reminding you that peril sharpens the intellect, something to remember this year. Until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.